Hey, language lovers. I'm really excited to share this episode of Speaking Tongues with you. When I decided that I wanted to start this podcast, I wanted the opportunity to talk with people at all stages of fluency and not just those who are already fluent. My next guest, Talia, is an actress, writer, and photographer who talks with me about her ties to her heritage and her ambition to connect with it as it relates to language. Ever the professional, she did this in one take. Let's jump right in. Oh, and just a warning, this episode contains mature language, so listener discretion is advised. Hi, Talia. Hi, Lauren. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And um, today we're going to be talking about speaking Spanish. Or lack thereof in my case. Or lack thereof in your case. <laughs> well, you know, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll... Um, We'll have a nice conversation either, either way. way either way either way so my friend um why don't you start by telling me what your language experience was like in school when you were growing up um school was kind of interesting for me uh growing up i kind of heard spanish spoken here or there by family members my mom tried to teach me at a really young age um but I kind of lost it since she didn't really stick with it as much. You know, her working and trying to put food on the table kind of uh, took precedent over making sure I learned another language. And then when it came to school, I wanted to learn Spanish, but a lot of my schooling, especially elementary school and then into high school, the language that I took was a direct reflection of where I was academically. So um, in elementary school, if you were considered, I hate to use this vernacular, but I guess for lack of a better word, one of the smarter kids, <laughs> you were in like the alpha program. So the alpha program would take a uh, language like French or Italian. Delta would take Spanish. I don't know, Delta being like the, I guess the kids that are not on the alpha level. I don't know why the languages were um, separated in that way in elementary school. And then in high school, I wanted to take Spanish. And because I was an honor student, I was placed into, as you know, Latin. Latin. And so I, you know, wanting to be the bouge that I was at the time, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to take Latin for all four years, um, which didn't work out because, you know, my first year we had a really great Latin teacher who was, I hated, but I learned Latin. Mm-hmm. Like I could actually speak colloquially. Right. Uh, it wasn't until we got another teacher who was a great teacher, but did not teach Latin. Mm-hmm. And so by the end of it, I had four years and you know to show for it, like a couple of Latin idioms here or there, but that was really about it. Right. So it wasn't until I got to college that I immersed myself in Spanish. And because it wasn't the Spanish that my mother and family grew up speaking, mm-hmm. I kind of just lost it because I, I had no one to practice it with. So your mom, your mother's family is from Puerto Rico. Yes. And what kind of Spanish were you learning when you were in college? That was all was considered Castilian, Spain, uh, quote unquote, proper Spanish. Okay. Is what was being taught in college. And the Spanish that is, you could say from any other country except for Spain, Mm -hmm. it just has its different idioms. It has its different vernacular. Um, and even the way certain words are pronounced, you know, it's, 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 you can still communicate. Right. But it was, a, it was, it was, I found myself, uh, even just using tenses, mm-hmm. you know, the vosotros tense is not used. Right. By 
by people in the Bronx. <laughs> you know? But like if I was coming like, nosotros, and they was like, what are you doing? We don't use the vosotros. What's vos? Like, what's this? So yeah, yeah. there was this disconnect of, of not being able to practice what I was learning in school. Okay. And so I just kind of lost. I kind of lost it in that way. Do you know where your teacher was from? particularly in college or do you think that was a curricular choice that um they, I think they it was made? a combination of both I think uh, curriculum wise they stick to the conquerors language or the colonialist language which is Spanish from Spain mm -hmm. because if you want to get into the different dialects from different countries you're going to go insane okay um because they are <laughs> there are different nuances yeah between the two for of them, sure between all of them uh I and you could even tell by the teacher the first teacher I had my first year was from Ecuador and mm. so Yes, she spoke Spanish. She taught us Spanish mm -hmm. and with a very, like, Spain-Spanish, uh, quote-unquote, proper, authentic way. But her pronunciation was different. And her the way she taught it in terms of, like, her presence was different. Mm -hmm. She was much more open to anyone who, had, who spoke Spanish a little bit differently. She was very sweet, um, very kind woman. The last few years after that was a woman from Spain, and she was very, very caught up on people's pronunciation on people's tenses if you had a student in class who spoke Spanish but wasn't from Spain she would make these comments about you know like those kind of laughing mm. oh you speak that kind of Spanish or, oh it was it was just very she had a very colonialist attitude okay which can be very off-putting to anyone but especially like an 18 year old or of an course -year -old, of like course. still trying to figure themselves out and then how they fit into a culture that has called you a gringo your entire life since you don't speak their language, you're trying to learn it, and now you're being told, oh, wait, you're still other. You know, mm -hmm. you're still less than, or you're still this, like, in this other space. Mm -hmm. So that, that has been an issue for me in terms of learning another language in school. How did you, at that point in your life, how did you get on with, like, did you, how many years did you end up taking it in school? In college, at that? College, I, I think it was required to take it at, like, two years so I took it at the at the requirement level okay. like I didn't take it any more than that because once I started getting into my studies I had no room for language right um, did you feel at any point that you were becoming more confident expressing yourself in Spanish or I did feel the most confident I ever felt in expressing myself in Spanish was in college because okay. I, it was it was an immersive class oh okay. you could not communicate in, any other in language, English at all in English at all Wow and I, was it upper level or it it, no? It was basic, but That's you really could cool. not like you could do as long as you made the effort and tried. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to my second year, I was doing pretty well. Um, but then after that, and and because I couldn't practice it, I lost it. Right. Um, I find I have these spurts when I go visit family in Puerto Rico, which is far and few in between, in and of itself. So I don't get the practice. But when I do find myself immersed in a country where I only have to speak Spanish, I do find that I am able to pick it up right. a little bit more. So it's not something that's completely lost me, but I think the, the difficulty I find is not understanding people, but then having to then turn what I'm hearing, put it through this, this like brain factory of then what tense, what word am I going to use, and then put into a proper sentence. I look... Like a, like a freak, <laughs> like you know, when people are trying to talk to me, it's just steady like 25, 30 seconds of silence of like me trying to put things together in right. my head. Because it's going through the hot dog factory in your brain of yes. turning what you just heard mm -hmm. into English 
Well, for me, I'm yeah. turning it back into English and then I'm retranslating it and then mm. I have to form a response. Yes. So it's, uh, I, I understand. Yeah. I and if I'm understand. missing a word mm-hmm. and that word was an important word and then I come back with something <laughs> and look at you with aghast, like, like, oh, oh, that's not what you, all right, that's what that word meant. Okay. Sorry. So, um, it's never really, like Cuba was an interesting experience for me because I was only there for 10 days, and the first few days I was relying on my friend who could speak Spanish. But then she, at one point she looked at me, she goes, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna need to, you speak Spanish, you're gonna need to learn how to like talk to people. And at first I was like, fuck you, bitch. But <laughs> I can curse on this, right? Of course. Okay, in many languages. No. Um, first I was very upset, and then after a while I understood where she was coming from, in the sense of the more you practice it and the more you immerse yourself in it, you become comfortable with, oh, I'm starting to remember where this is, you know these words and this tense and, and so that did help um, but I don't have the luxury of being able to immerse myself in Spanish speaking countries here and there uh, anytime I please so that's that's become <laughs> that's become a bit of an issue um, so going back to growing up in in we, we both grew up in the Bronx mm-hmm. and full disclosure we know each other for a while and we went to high school together so um 20 years deep about (laughs) (laughs) what i remember growing up with a lot of and i'm I'm saying puerto rican kids that Mm -hmm. that i grew up with i would say maybe 98 99 percent of them did not speak spanish and i remember a lot of them their parents would speak Spanish to them and they would respond in English or their grandparents would speak mm-hmm. to them um, in Spanish and they some of them understood, some of them did not, some of them knew a word here or there. Um, I've heard quite a lot of, of that from kids that, that I grew up with, so people around our age, Puerto Rican primarily, mm-hmm. who have that disconnect, um, I guess sort of similar to what you said about um, with your mom, do you feel like that's typical? Have you also encountered people of our age who are of a, like a Latin Caribbean background who don't who don't speak Spanish? I see that another? I see that mostly with I see that mostly with second generation, which is what I am. Mm-hmm. So I think second generation across the board, regardless of whatever country your family originates from, I've seen that's the generation where the language starts to kind of fall off. There are certain ethnic cultures that I feel like make more of a solid effort to make sure their family members speak that language. Okay. Like for, especially for South, South Asian cultures, mm-hmm. friends that I have that are Bangladeshi or Indian, or like they make sure regardless of how many generations are here that they don't turn into this kind of whitewashed version of who they're, like they, they keep the language alive. Mm-hmm. I think for Puerto Ricans in particular, because of the history of the island with the United States, mm-hmm. that is is not the only correlation, but it is a direct correlation okay. with how Puerto Ricans have lost their language. Um, because when Puerto Ricans first started coming over in these big waves in the 40s and the 50s, there was this need slash forced assimilation mm-hmm. and part of the forced assimilation was you know the bigotry that that a lot of puerto ricans received because they were called the n-word just like every you know just like african americans and black people were at that time mm-hmm. um and there were signs saying no puerto ricans no dogs like it, it was it was definitely a sense of 
I'm, I have to force myself to be American now, and a big thing was the language. Right. Because they were able to come back and forth into this country, and because essentially the United States wanted Puerto Ricans off the island anyway, so they could have as much control on the island as possible. Mm -hmm. So in order to force all these people off their island and then force them to assimilate, a large portion of that is losing your language, which then English is taught in Puerto Rico. So there was a certain point in Puerto Rican history where they were trying to phase Spanish out of the schools. And they're like, you can't force this entire island to stop speaking the language that you can't say naturally they've been speaking. They've been speaking since the, the Spanish colonized them how many, however many centuries ago. Mm. Um, and so I think because Puerto Ricans are the Latin or Latinx population that has probably, besides Mexicans, that have been in this continental United States for maybe historically the longest period of time, you do have a lot of that losing of culture because of forced assimilation. And you see that with a lot of Mexican-Americans who grew up and lived on the border who were kind of, once the, the borders are created, they have that difference of like not feeling Mexican enough because they're so like gringoized or whitenized, they don't speak a lick of Spanish either. Mm -hmm. There are large Mexican populations that feel that same exact way. Except in New York, because there's mostly Puerto Ricans here, you, the, you see the disparity there being more with Puerto Ricans and other cultures. Mm -hmm. Because you know, my grandfather was from, well, my mom's side was from Dominican Republic, and I meet many few Dominicans, regardless of how long they've been here, who don't speak Spanish. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I, I've ne I have yet to meet a Dominican who's, whose family has been here for a predominant period of time who don't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. They speak at least some Spanish. Yeah. It's, it's, I've noticed with a lot more Puerto Ricans in terms of generationally, and I think a lot of that has to do with our history with the United States. I think that's interesting, too, because why I specifically said um, Puerto Ricans is because, well, most of the people who were Latina... Latinx. Yeah, I, yeah uh, Latinx, I guess, is the more that, preferred term. No, yeah, that, um, that I grew up with were Puerto Rican. I did not meet anyone who was of Dominican heritage until mm -hmm. we were in high school. Yeah. And all of the Dominican kids that we went to high school with were fluent in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And the Spanish that I heard them speak was rapid fire. Yes. And so I had... Completely rapid completely fire. Rapid fire. And my ears had to get used to hearing something completely different. Mm -hmm. So I never thought of it that way, that the, the proximity and the relationship with the United States has something to do with uh, the generational mm -hmm. divide of yeah. the speaking Spanish. So if we're talking about that, you know, I haven't been to Puerto Rico. I haven't been mm -hmm. lucky enough to visit Puerto Rico, which I know is beautiful. Um, so my only real understanding of, of Puerto Rican culture is what I've seen in the Bronx. Do you mm -hmm. feel like it's, as someone who's been to Puerto Rico and is closely mm -hmm. tied, how do you feel the culture and the language is similar in the Bronx? Or is it is it like the same? Oh, it's, is it's, it like oh. Puerto Rican American and Puerto Rican? Like It's almost it, night and day sometimes, depending okay. on where you go. Um, there are stigmas, just like unfortunately there are stigmas, there, there, there are these issues within the African versus African American black communities. This sense of othering mm -hmm. with both, that's the same thing with Puerto Ricans and what they would call New Yorkans. There are people who are born and raised in New York who refer themselves as New Yorkans because there is, New York is a culture. Mm -hmm. You know this, yeah, I know this, yeah, like yeah. you know, you can, you can, 
you can go to the Bahamas and be like, yeah, my Bahamian people, but it's like, nah, but you have your own essential New Yorkness too that also is tied into your, your own Caribbean culture. So I feel like being from New York in general, that's its own culture, regardless of where ethnically your family comes from. So that's a little spice that's already, that's a Timbaland spice that's already added into <laughs> like wherever you're, whatever you're talking about. And then New York Spanish is very different than Puerto Rican Spanish. If you okay. go to Puerto Rico and you go to the hotels, you go to the schools, they speak what they would call proper Spanish. Not necessarily Castilian, because Castilian has an accent and there are certain words, like it's the Fosotros case we don't use as much out in Puerto Rico, but it's very clear the accent is like, it's it's what you would hear on television. So it's like a newscaster. It's newscaster Spanish newscaster when you go Spanish. to, when you go to, when you go to Puerto Rico. When you go to the streets, it's the same thing that when you go to the hood, when you go to Harlem and Harlem has their own accent, when you go to the Heights, the Heights has their own accent. When you go to, when you go straight up to East New York or to Brownsville, right, they have their right. own vernacular. Yeah. It's the same thing. If you go to La Perla in Puerto Rico, like to the hood, you're going to hear certain like, hey, mami, get, get brutal. Like you don't hear get brutal. Like, but get brutal is like, oh, how cool. Like that's brutal. Like that's dope. That's more of like a hood type of vernacular. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's, if you're immersed in the culture, you'll, you're going to be able to understand the nuances. But considering that I have friends who have been able to like, Show, shine a light on that for me. Mm-hmm. I haven't experienced that personally until now with that those set of eyes and ears. I'm able to go there and be like, oh, that's a different type of Spanish. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a different. But like, when you go to Puerto Rico, if you expect to be this New Yorican who, yeah, I'm Puerto Rican, they look at you like you're not Puerto Rican. You're New Yorican. <laughs> they look at you like you're not. From, you know, you weren't born and raised in this island. You know, and I think that's the issue with. The biggest issue with the idea of just Puerto Rico and, and the independence versus statehood movement and just there's not a lot of cohesion within the Puerto Rican people because the diaspora is so large. Right. Because there, we have been forced off the, off our island and we've been forced to have to make do. And we can't live all in New York City. Mm-hmm. We Like, you know, Spanish Harlem used to be predominantly Puerto Rican. Now it's predominantly Mexican and South American. Right. It's whatever uh, whatever immigrant immigrant class is coming in that's kind of like their first port or like where they end up mm-hmm. stopping, especially with Spanish speaking countries. So with Puerto Rico, there's so many Puerto Ricans that have been coming off the island for so long, they're scattered all over the state. Right. And there's not a lot of cohesion with what we should do as a Puerto Rican people. So when people start talking about what they should do with the island, no one's talking to Puerto Ricans on the island about it. Right. And a lot of them who are not on the island don't speak Spanish huh. because it has been this idea of assimilating into where you're going from. Like a lot of Puerto Ricans decided to, like a lot of Puerto Ricans in Chicago, a lot of Puerto Ricans are now moving to North Carolina, a lot of them moving to Texas, a lot of them moving to other places where you can't just bring your Puerto Ricanness, you know, with right. your with your uh, your instruments and your heavy accent. Like it's been a sense of not not you're not proud of where you come from. Mm. Is it's a lot of it had to do with being torn from what you know. In order to not live in that sadness, the, the wound has to heal at some point, and sometimes people just choose to put a mask over it and forget about it. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, and a lot of Puerto Ricans have this, in their DNA, this sadness and this separation from their island because it was something that was forced. I mean, and you can get into whole, you know, forced sterilization and the whole birth control movement, which we're not gonna get into, but a lot of language and a lot of culture and a lot of separation from that has to do with the history of Puerto Ricans and the United States and the island. And it's very convoluted. A lot of Puerto Ricans don't even know their own history. Mm. Um, 
And so there is a lot of disparity within, within the diaspora, within the community, because there's not one centralized view. Also, all of, Puerto Ricans look so different. Oh yeah. Like, Puerto Ricans look different. The fact that we still that we have to have a conversation about what Afro Latino is is astounding to me. <laughs> the fact that Latinos who look my complexion for since we're on a podcast were more like olive. I'm olive toned, and I have family members who, who my mother who is more like you know pink undertones to my cousins who are dark, very dark. Who are who walking down the street are called African American, which that's not their identity, they're Puerto Rican, and they have a conversation about what it means to be black and Latino, and that's their conversation to have. But I think also a big disparity is, you know, we all look different, and yet what's represented in the media, and, and, in, and in television, and in even you know, social media, is that Puerto Ricans look a certain way. We all don't look like fucking Jennifer Lopez, okay? Let's be very clear, we all don't look or act like Jennifer Lopez. Or Lynn Manuel Miranda, which I'm not even gonna get into about him right now, but it's just like this is the representation of all that you're seeing. And so people the idea of someone who looks like Idris Elba coming out and speaking colloquial Spanish from Puerto Rico. Meanwhile, there's an entire pueblo, Coloisa, that looks people look exactly like him that embrace their African culture. I think it's just this uh, the biggest thing has been assimilation and feeling like I'm not wanted where I belong. Mm. So now I'm in a place where no one wants me. The least I can do is speak their language. And unfortunately, that's been passed to so many generations of Puerto Ricans. I shunned a lot of my culture because I would either get the tuerona gringa, you know, you're a white girl. Gringa really is not white so much as a derogatory term for someone who's trying to be white, whiter than what they are. My effort was never to shirk or to shun my language. It was just something that was not taught to me because my mother had my mother was a single mom that was trying to work to put food on the table so the idea of coming home and speaking Spanish to me was not the first priority for her so I got a lot of shunning from not necessarily Puerto Ricans but a lot of other Latinos a lot of other Latin cultures who for them speaking Spanish was of the utmost importance for them that was part of their cultural identity was speaking Spanish and so I shunned being Puerto Rican because I kept getting this, your last name is Delgado, you don't speak Spanish, or you're Puerto Rican Dominican, you don't speak Spanish, Do I not, you know, what kind of Puerto Rican are you? So I stopped learning salsa, I stopped, you know, I started pushing these things away. It wasn't until I realized like, they were projecting their pain onto me. The fact that they couldn't be in their homeland. They're looking at another Latino assuming that they know my story or they know, and so it's just like, that made me push away something that was in essence, I shouldn't have. Were these people contemporaries, or were they like older relatives, older people? They were um, um, not. I mean, it would be interesting. I get different reactions. It would be contemporaries sometimes, like in high school. You know, like you know the group of Latinas that would all hang together with the door knocker earrings and the pace it down baby hairs and the long acrylic fingernails. You knew what table I was talking about. I forget what her name. I think her name was Giselle. Were, Giselle, Erica. It was my age group. Okay. And I know you had yours in your age group. I'm, yeah, we had. I mean, it was just one year difference, but like <laughs> they, I didn't get along with them because I wasn't listening to the latest reggaeton and salsa. I didn't speak Spanish like they did. And I wasn't sitting at home. I didn't, was, I wasn't up to date on the telenovelas and shit like that. So I would hear flack from them. Mm-hmm. I hear flack from older adults that either, not family because family knew better, but it was more of just like other adults who realized I didn't speak Spanish that for them it was just kind of like wrong with you so right now 
Would you consider yourself fluent in Spanish? Oh, absolutely not. So, <laughs> when you when was in your adult in your adult life? When was the first time or like the first one of the more recent times that you went to to Puerto Rico? What was your experience like not being fluent in Spanish and having these feelings where you you've been told that you're a gringa, you're not Latina enough, or you're not Puerto Rican enough. Um, what what were some of the things that you experienced? And I would say language-wise, because we are talking about language. What are some of the things that maybe were acceptance points for you? What were hurdles for you? What were things that you... Did you have any personal triumphs as someone who doesn't speak the language completely and, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, is there anything you can talk talk about? Yeah. I would say, you know, I think the biggest personal triumph for me was just not giving a shit about what anyone thought. That for me was a personal because for me to you mean language-wise? Language-wise. Like because th- does that make me less Puerto Rican because I don't speak a language of my colonizers? Like if you want to if you really honestly everyone who speaks Spanish, if your family's not from Spain, go fuck yourself. You have literally, like, honestly, if your family is not directly from Spain, you have no place whatsoever to point fingers and tell somebody they're not Latin, you're not Colombian enough, you're not Dominican enough, you're not Mexican enough, because that's not our original language to begin with. Mm-hmm. Our language, our indigenous languages were taken away from us and stripped away from us centuries ago. So to have this argument about you're less than your culture because you don't speak a language that your colonizers forced on you to begin with is obscene to me. And that has been the biggest hurdle that I, that I got over because I was, was pushing away my culture because people were, pu- were projecting onto me their issues of language. Because, them, because for them, being a part of their culture and the, and the mainstay of their culture was speaking Spanish, that's great. But that's not, the, that's not the most important part of being Puerto Rican and Dominican to me is speaking Spanish. The most important part of, to me is, is knowing my culture, is knowing the history of the island, is, is knowing that it's a, it's a, it's a culmination of, of deep, rich African culture and history and, and Taino culture and history, and yeah, throwing some colonizer Spanish history and whatever they contributed to the island. But I think that was the biggest hurdle, was, was not taking those projections and then internalizing them and therefore lowering the, 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 the view that I had of myself. You know, because of these other people, I stopped dancing salsa. I stopped wanting to go to Puerto Rico. I stopped listening to Spanish music. I stopped even wanting to travel to these Spanish-speaking countries because I didn't want to hear anybody call me a gringo one more time. It's, and it's not so much being called white that's the insult. The insult is, with the term gringa, is being called, like, you're trying to be something you're not. And I'm like, I'm not less Puerto Rican because I don't speak this language. And I think for me, that is what became a big, is the hurdle that I got over. Not necessarily that I'm fluent in it. So in a practical concern, you're in Puerto Rico and you need to go somewhere, get something, eat something, meet mm-hmm. someone. How are you communicating? Um, I mean, if you don't, whenever I go there, I make an effort to speak as much Spanish as I possibly can. Okay. I am lucky enough that I happen to have an ear that if I at least know the rules of the language, I can kind of sort of pick up what you're saying to me. 
And the good thing about Puerto Rico is that because it's been under United States regime for so long, um, there are many people who do speak English or enough English for you to get by. Gotcha. You're gonna walk into a, a place and you're gonna run into someone who speaks English. Um, even the poorest of the poor people will, will be able to respond or they'll find a way. Um, but also, if, when I go to Puerto Rico, I make an effort to try to brush up on my Spanish as much as possible. If I know that I'm going, I try to listen and immerse myself in Spanish. I try to listen to Spanish songs. I try to watch anything where I can follow along and read and, and try to get familiar with it so that when I'm there, I can pick up on it better. If, it, if you're someone who doesn't speak a lick of Spanish at all, you're not going to learn in a couple months before, <laughs> before you go. But, but you're also not going to have a difficult time traveling no. there if you don't speak a word of Spanish. Yes. Okay. But for me, it's easier to travel in Puerto Rico than anywhere else. I can't go to DR. DR, for me, without speaking, having someone who speaks... Like you just said, like DR is a very... It's a harder Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's a throatier Spanish, too. Um, the way the Spanish is said, it's a little throatier. It's a That's, little hard. Yeah. It's a little... And so sometimes the ear, my ear, takes a while to, to understand what they're saying. Also, they have words that I've never even heard of outside of Dominican <laughs> Spanish that... Like, when you go there to communicate with them, like, it's easier to have someone who understands that specific vernacular. Right. Um, I couldn't pick up and decide to go to Mexico and be like, I'm going to use whatever little Spanish I know. No, because that's a totally different colloquial style as well. Um, it's better to be fluent and be able to travel and then find your way. Like, I'm definitely not a level where I can travel at any Spanish-speaking country and be okay. Yeah. Puerto Rico is just a little safer. I, personally, I find, I, I don't, speak Spanish fluently and mm -hmm. the extent of my Spanish is New York Spanish yes it's the Spanish that the we Spanglish hear, yeah. the, the Spanish we hear on the beach and at the deli yeah dame and un sandwich <laughs> like I didn't know the real word for a sandwich which was bocadillo I didn't realize what that was right. for until college <laughs> I was like what the hell's a bocadillo it's a sandwich and the woman looked at me shook her head like I know that's that's the way you speak here. And you know, in her very like putting down tone. Right. No, oh no, you speak that here. Are you Puerto Rican? I want to slap her in the I face. Do, but you know that. what? I do think it's interesting that we have, like you said, New York is a culture within itself. And I think that we are very fortunate to have this melting pot of mm -hmm. cultures where we're all a little bit something yes. else. And I think that is fantastic it I can agree. be frustrating at some at times but mm -hmm. i think it's really fantastic what i find interesting about spanish is just how as a non-spanish speaker mm -hmm. um i i can't say for sure what i understand and what i don't i can say dominican spanish is a little advanced for yes. me for my ear because they speak so quickly mm -hmm. um but I, you know, the first Spanish-speaking country I went to was Spain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Yes. Like, I was really just, just because they have the, the lisp, different... The king's lisp? Right, right. And then, <laughs> the second Spanish-speaking country I went to was Argentina. Oh, yeah. Which is another completely, it's like a different end of the spectrum. So, from where I sit as somebody who's so interested in, in languages and realizing there's what uh, a dozen and change Spanish-speaking mm -hmm. countries all over the world we have so many people who uh, who speak Spanish and it's all very different it's all mm -hmm. the same language but it's all very different yeah
Okay. Um, so for me, as someone who doesn't speak Spanish, um, and I know you said like everybody speaks speaks uh, English in Puerto Rico anyway, but most people. Most people. I mean, there you go to neighborhoods where a lot of people don't. Um, so, but for the most part, you'll you'll you're running into someone that speaks a little bit at least. What could I expect if I, as someone who's not been to Puerto Rico, as someone who has very limited ability speaking Spanish, like, am I going to hear what I hear on the street in the Bronx? Am I going to hear... No, you're going to hear people speaking straight up Spanish in a little bit of a different way. Okay. Also, it depends on what neighborhood or what side of the island you go to. Like, my family is from the West, where the mountains are, Mayagüez. If you go further up in Rincón, Rincón, especially during the winter time, that's what the swells are. A lot of surfers go there for the winter time, so it's predominantly non-Spanish speaking. Mm. Most of Rincón is mostly white people, um, and because it's it, because it's part of the United States, you don't need a passport to get there, so people can just go up and live there. Yeah. So you do have sections of people who don't speak Spanish and find a way to live there. Mm -hmm. Um, so if they can do it, you can do it. It's, a, it's also knowing where to go. Mm -hmm. I would not recommend that you go to the middle of, you know, Rio Pedras in the middle of the mountains where the Wi-Fi is still spotty and you still have, you know, caballeros riding on their, on their carts, you know, to and from trying to get to work. Like, I wouldn't recommend you go there. Mm -hmm. I would recommend you stay in the big cities. You stay in the big cities, you stay in the big pueblas, you're going to, everyone who works at the hotels speak English. And then you have a lot of restaurants where most people at the restaurants speak English because they know those are places that are touristy. Mm -hmm. um, so you're never, you're not going to have, it's just if you go to the more rural areas, it's like with any country you go to, you're yeah. going to expect to run into people that don't speak English. But you're going to run into more people that do speak English there. How was your experience language-wise in Cuba? Oh, uh, hmm. When you did get around to trying... To speak Spanish, to speak on your own, or it, it was fine. It became it became good because I was able to practice more, and the people were very kind and very understanding. Um, it was also right after the Trump election, so it was. I'm glad I went because this is when Wi-Fi was still not up and running in the country, and so I was off of social media, which was a blessing, complete blessing. <laughs> um, also, you, you're very well aware, as soon as you get there, the disparity in the messages that you receive about Cuba versus how Cuba is when you get there. Um, as a Puerto Rican, our, our issues with Cuban-Americans is very spotty and sticky at best, which this is not the podcast for that conversation, so we're not going to get into that. Um, but when you do go to Cuba, Fidel Castro did have a free Puerto Rico platform. So the way that Puerto Ricans are received when you go to Cuba is vastly different than when the way they're received when we see when we go to Miami. And the biggest thing had to like when I went to Cuba, it was this sense of like when I told them I was New Yorker, which is what I normally do when I travel around the world. Yeah. I never say an American. I'm a, I, no, no, I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. Oh, you're a New Yorker. Oh, we love you. You know, like, I don't know what that accent is supposed to be, but like, anywhere I've gone, New Yorker, we love you. Of course, of course. I went to Cuba, and they're like, oh, you know, de donde eres? Where are you from? De Nueva York. Ay, tu eres una americana. And I was like, oh, shit. Damn. They're like, no, no, no. I'm like, but we're from New York. They're like, you know, what the fuck is the difference? It's New York. You're part of the United States. 
I, when I said I was Puerto Rican, ah, toda la familia, la misma. It was like, mm. your family, we're the same. Because mm-hmm. technically, like, kind of ethnically, in terms of our ethnic makeup, we are. And in terms of what our islands have both been through a lot of horrible shit, except Cuba's a much bigger island. They were able to defend as opposed to Puerto Rico and all that. But so when I went to Cuba, it was an automatic sense of embracing. That alone allowed me to feel comfortable enough to make any language mistakes that I ended up needing to make in order to be able to communicate with people. So once I let them know that I was Puerto Rican, but I didn't speak a lot of Spanish, they were kind. They were, they were, they were decent enough to at least allow me the, 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 the pauses in conversation to be right. able to get my words together. And then they would say to me in their broken English, I want to learn English. And so I would give them little ways. And it was just this really beautiful sharing of experience or lack thereof that was really great in Cuba that I did not expect. Um, and it was also nice to be immersed in a language that, like for me, once I hear it enough, I start to become familiar with being able to communicate it. And Cuba, excuse me, the Spanish out there is not as hard, it's not hard for me to understand. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, 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 it's a little, no, the accent's not the same, but the, the, the way in which it's spoken is similar enough to Puerto Rican Spanish where I was able to understand what they were saying. I wasn't, it wasn't this hard for me. Not to say like Dominican Spanish. <laughs> it's still very hard for me. Um, are there any typical Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, I'm sorry. No. Do you listen to NPR? No, there's I this probably re- should. There's this reporter, and I'll probably keep this in because I love him and mm-hmm. maybe he'll hear it. <laughs> Adrian Florido, mm-hmm. he's been mostly corresponding um, from Puerto Rico after the Hurricane Maria. Yeah. And he, when he says Puerto Rico, it's yeah. like the most... Wow, like, <laughs> he just has the best pronunciation. And it's not a thing where I'm like, ooh, but it's, yeah. it's just like, I just love listening to his voice. He's like a mm-hmm. great pronunciation. And I think that what he's doing for the people of, of Puerto Rico after the hurricane and continuing to bring light to the situation at hand, I think is really I think that's always uh, wonderful. Fantastic. People, yeah. I listen, uh, he's on Code Switch sometimes, or he's on... Um, Oh yeah, code switching. Yeah, that's a that's that's another conversation. (laughs) That's a really good podcast. If you NPR's code switch is Mm -hmm. really good. If you get a chance to listen to it, you and I are definitely familiar with code switching. We certainly are. Um, So, are there any typical Puerto Rican sayings? Oh yeah, there's a (laughs) that uh, (laughs) that maybe so any typical sayings that. Maybe you have said as a Puerto Rican mm-hmm. to someone who's maybe Ecuadorian or Mexican, and it means something totally different. Oh, it's happened. I mean, it happened in Cuba. Okay. So, <laughs> so my friend who went with me, she's half Cuban, half Puerto Rican, and she told me a story once about her parents. Um, so, to give you a little background, uh, a bicho. A bicho in Puerto Rican. Bicho. Bicho. B-I-C-H-O. A bicho in, 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 in Cuba is a cockroach. <gasps> it's a cockroach. So her father, who's Cuban, is in Puerto Rico with his wife and her family. And they're talking. All of a sudden, a roach crawls across the wall. And he goes, Me, I mean, you're in the Caribbean, so you're going to see shit. Of you're going to see. It's, it's, it's like, it's not the size of like an Australian... <laughs> 
<laughs> water bug that's like the size of your head or whatever they have in Australia. No, it's just a regular, he goes, oh, I mean, I mean, I said on Bicho. And everyone starts dying laughing, like someone's tickling them. And he's like, what the, what's the problem? And they're like, hi, it's on Bicho. In Puerto Rico, Bicho's a dick. <gasps> so when he's like, look at the bicho on the wall, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's funny. There's just like one there. Um, and and in uh, there's another one like like uh, like coño, coño is like ah oh, shit. So even though I don't speak fluent Spanish, I grew up hearing these little idioms or sayings all the time. Like, I coño, like, I shit, I dropped something. Or, carajo. Carajo is shit, but it's more of like an exasperated, ah, shit. As opposed to, I dropped something, oh, shit. Um, uh-huh. A coño, coño is like, ah, fuck. But in Spain, coño is like the derogatory word for a woman's vagina. Wow. So, I, you know, like, <laughs> I learned the differences in these words, in these words, you know, like, uh, un guagua. Un guagua is basically like a New Yorkian term for a bus because the bus goes wah, 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 wah. Like, <laughs> really? That's really what it is. It's, it's un autobus. Yeah, that's the word. But like un guagua. Mira un guagua. But a guagua or a guagua in Mexico is a dog. Uh huh. So I've found these, like, sometimes the little words that we have that we throw around. Um, a big Puerto Ricanism is if something happens and you get exasperated or frustrated, ay, me caso en die, me caso en die. Me caso en die literally translates to I'm married or I'm getting married at 10 o'clock. Me, me caso, me caso en die, en die. Meaning I'm getting married at 10 o'clock. Uh huh. But it doesn't, it has nothing to do with getting married. It's like, ay, me caso en die. Like, why the, f- like, oh, my dumbass did, you know, something I wasn't supposed mm, to do. Mm-hmm. And it just, it means, it means nothing. That's a really good one. I've never heard that. Yeah, Mekaswindia, or um, If You Get Hurt. The song is about feel better, feel better, ass of a frog. Sana, oh, sana, bolito de pan. I've heard that. I always say sana mañana. So feel better, feel better, little ass of a frog. You don't feel better now, you feel better tomorrow. I didn't feel better unless that song was sang to me. You know what I mean? But now that I'm an adult, I'm like, you're talking about an ass of a frog? Like, that makes no sense. Um... But little 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 phrases like that, like that, made me feel more connected. And I think those are things that you can you can be an outsider from another language. I think every culture has this, mm-hmm. even if you don't speak y- your family specific cultural language for like fluently. If someone decides outside of your culture to learn your language, there's still a distinct difference between you and that person because that person doesn't grow up with these little idioms and sayings and phrases right, that you have. Right. So they're not going to know when to throw in, like, me describing me caso en die to you yeah. is like, huh? But if I'm a Puerto Rican, me caso en die, ay, ya tu sabes, like, you know, <laughs> I know exactly what that means, you know, shit like that. Right. Um, and I think that's... That for me is what I had to focus on and embrace in terms of my culture. Yes, I don't speak it fluently, but I do have these, these especially Puerto Rican idioms. Mm-hmm. They say to you, when you go to Puerto Rico, you're going to hear these two things the most. Buen provecho, which is true. Mm-hmm. Like whenever you go to sit somewhere, you don't need to know the person. You know how many times I've been to Puerto Rico with family and we just get our food and the family's leaving? Buen provecho. And they don't know us. Right. But the idea in Puerto Rico is if you're being fed... I don't need to know you to hope that this food is nourishment for you. That's a big Puerto Rican thing. Manners and all that stuff. You're going to hear buen provecho. You're going to hear ay bendito. <laughs> that, that's a huge, if anything, 
buen provecho and ay bendito are the two biggest fucking Puerto Rican. <laughs> and you know how many times I say ay bendito. Ay bendito. That's, you know, that's it. Like, I don't need to sit here and re- recite Pablo Neruda to you for you to know I'm Puerto Rican when I pull out the ay bendito. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um. Do you love Benicio del Toro as much as I do? <laughs> Of course I fucking do. Not maybe not as much as as much as you do. I can't infringe upon that. But I do love me some Benicio. I I think he's I'm, just the right amount of dirty for me. He's without feeling like I need to get washed afterwards. Like I want to stay in that funk for a little while. I'm sorry, Benicio. No, um, I'm not. <laughs> Call me. Um, <laughs> listen, if you're listening to Lauren's podcast, Benicio. Oh my god. Yama May. What's happening? Um, <laughs> You know who I'm a really big fan of, and I don't want to get off on a celebrity rant that I looked that up, but um, the Queen, Rita Moreno. Oh, Queen Rita. Um, Queen Priestess Rita. Listen, a lot of Puerto Ricans have issues with her that I block out because I don't give a shit what they have to say. (laughs) At the end of the day, she fought for not being represented in a way in Hollywood that was slanderous to women of color and Puerto Ricans in general. You know her complexion. Her complexion is a little bit darker than the, I mean, back then. She's kind of gotten lighter because either she's not tanning or they're not tanning her as much. But back then, she was darker than a lot of complexioned women that you see getting roles. Mm -hmm. And she was tired of playing the prostitute. She was tired of playing the single mom. She was tired of playing the uneducated, you know, uh, exotic, seductress, indigenous, whatever. And she's like, no, I want to play these roles that, um, that show my culture in a more positive light, and she was blacklisted for a while. Yeah. And no, but she's 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 the queen. I I love me some Rita Moreno. Me too. Yeah. So now, are you considered? Do you consider yourself? Are you are you still learning Spanish? Is this a continual process for you? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense of I'm always open to learning. I'm always, I have like five language apps on my phone right now, in that sense. No, in the sense of I'm not sticking to it as much as I should. It should be something that ritualistically, I should be at least listening to a 20 second whatever every day. If I bogged down and did that and gave myself a routine, a structured routine, then I can definitely see myself picking up the language sooner rather than later. I just, I have so many other things going on, (coughs) excuse me, that the emphasis of where I put my time is not on learning another language because that is in and of itself a job. Yeah. And it is something that you have to be very diligent about and I'm not, unfortunately, that's not where my mind is at. When you've had the opportunity to be in that mindset, what helps you, what resources do you go to that help you? Do you enroll in a class? Do you listen to a podcast? Do you listen to, do you read a book? Do you speak, get out and speak with other people? Are there any methods that you do have success with? I found that if I'm left to my own devices in terms of learning a new thing, nothing will get done. I, I don't know where this, actually I do know where this comes from. So this is a part of the issue that I'm dealing with in terms of just growth and becoming an adult is I don't finish the things that I start, at least a lot of things. 
not that I'm unreliable. If, if, if I'm someone else is relying upon me, I'm, I'm the most reliable. When it comes to myself, I find myself being unreliable. So in terms of language, because that's something that I don't have a decent footing in, if I already had a routine that I was good at and just kind of fall, f fell off, I could get back into that. For me, I wasn't clear on learning language unless it was in the classroom. So for me, having an instructor in a controlled setting with no other stimuli, which is a big thing because I'm borderline ADD, um, and, and being immersed in it, that for me is the best way for me to learn a new language. It's the same thing in terms of me working out. Mm -hmm. If I have an instructor who's on my ass <laughs> for a solid two weeks, yeah. and I have I don't have my I mean I don't have my phone in the gym anyway, but like if I have my phone off, if I'm focused on that, after those two weeks, I can easily pick back up because I'm in a routine, and I had someone who was a drill sergeant who was able to get me into the routine. But the, I need those two weeks. I need that structure. So with learning a language, I feel like the best thing for me is I can have as many apps on my phone as I want, but if I'm not in a class with an instructor then those, those little, like, those should be little snacks that I fill myself up with in my spare time. <laughs> right. And the full meal should be class. Right. Whereas those little snacks, I'm making them into a full meal, and it's, it's not doing anything for me. Mm -hmm. So that I've realized, for me to learn something new, it has to be immersive and structured, which I don't have time for. <laughs> it's hard. It's very it's, difficult. It's hard to make time, and I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because... I never have enough time to devote to one language, but I want to learn four. <laughs> so I can't be the only person out there who I know there's a lot of people. And I think in our modern society, plus in the US, we don't have a lot of emphasis on learning a second language as in the rest of the world. In the rest of the world. <laughs> Basically, like we're far behind right. when it comes to right. um, being adept at communicating with. Uh, people other than our our own selves right. like that's the problem with the United States it's so centralist and so selfish like we're the center of the universe that that other countries are like you don't even take into consideration the fact that you could be learning one other language that you communicate with the rest of the fucking world come on right like it's 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 it's, it's sad <laughs> it's really sad how far behind how far behind we, we have are. some catching up to we do we have a lot of fucking catching up to do <laughs> um okay well I I want to thank you for talking with me. This was fun. This was fun. I want to thank you for allowing me to talk to you. <laughs> and I want to give you an opportunity, if you'd like to take it, to talk about where anyone listening can find you, what you're working on, where we can expect to see you, what you're excited about. Um, well, right now, because I don't really have a website, and I, I have zero cognitive abilities when it comes to self-promotion like I have no idea where to start or anything like that but I guess you can find my Instagram uh what's my tag name wolfmaiden underscore t on Instagram on Instagram um and currently I uh finished writing a short film about what it was when I was a dancer and how I got out of dance because of the cruelty of dance teachers kind of the same it was kind of set in a similar vein in terms of language um, having people kind of belittle you at the stage that you're in, and so you kind of end up dropping it. So I wrote a script about that. Um, it's in pre-production right now, and I've been taking dance classes so that I could get my body back into dancer shape. And we're supposed to start filming in the spring. Um, I've been doing some more writing and just kind of immersing myself in a lot of 
behind the camera stuff when it comes to filmmaking because that's where my heart has always been. Uh, so that, I guess, is where you can keep up to date with what I'm doing. Um, in terms of language, I am consistently trying to incorporate a lot in my writing the uh, colloquialisms and the, the, the kind of like idioms in terms of like the vernacular, cultural vernacular. So mm -hmm. a lot of my scripts are sprinkled with little Spanish words here or there that you would use culturally growing up in a, in a, in a specific culture um, that make the characters feel more lived in. So that's, like that. that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my lack of Spanish knowledge, but there, but on the, the flip side of it, my knowledge of certain words that I'm trying to kind of like stretch them as far as I can. Would you like to end on an idiom that means a lot to you or a saying that means a lot to you in Spanish? Something that means a lot to you culturally or as, as a woman, as a dancer, as an actress, as a performer, as a fantastic friend that you oh, are. Thank you. <laughs> hmm, I mean, the first one that came to mind is actually one that if my mother ever found I said it, she'd be immensely embarrassed. So I'm not gonna go that route, <laughs> even though it was my grandmother's favorite phrase. But I'm gonna go with a very, uh, it's a very prominent saying that's now more than ever very important. Si se puede. Si se puede, yes we can. Yes we can. I feel like that's really very important for Puerto Ricans right now, especially on the island. We can, we can take care of ourselves. We can build, we are resilient people that have been through so much, that are still going through an enormous, enormous tragedies and um, negligence on not only the part of the United States government, but the part of our own people. Our own people in the diaspora are so, just it's, it's in a lot of people's DNA to have been so torn away from their island that they don't even know where to begin on how to reconnect. And a lot of that has to do with not speaking Spanish. A lot of that has to do with not having the language, but not speaking a specific language does not erase or eradicate your connection to where you truly come from. I think, if anything, I want to end on that. That's a good one. Thanks, Lauren. Gracias, amiga. De nada, amiga. <laughs>